Getting the exposure to grow your small wedding business can be difficult. With millions of engaged couples using The Knot to plan their weddings and find vendors, advertising on our sites will connect you with more couples than anywhere else online. Meet engaged couples where they're already searching for vendors like you. And let us deliver leads to help you grow your business. Visit vendors.thenot.com slash podcast to sign up today. Mention code PODCAST15 during your free onboarding session for 15% off your first month. And there's this pause and he goes, 51. I, I don't know when I lied to you just now. <laughs> it cracked me up. And I've, I've seen that scene like three or four times. And it's still, I find it funny. He never got past low A because he was walking 12 batters per nine. I mean, sorry, 12 batters in one inning. It, it's just. <laughs> Isn't there a reason gas don't get sat in that position? Yeah, that kid's shoulders are going to really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to episode 67 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we've already claimed the aisle seats. Uh, I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by Josh Housem. Josh, how's it going? Good. How are you? uh, Very good. We are here for an unorthodox Artificial Turf Wars, because the Blue Jays have had uh, their season pretty much unofficially written off by us and many others at this point. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you might want to take in a movie as things continue to kind of fizzle out. Uh, I don't know if they're actually going to continue to trend downward, but at this point there's there's not much point uh, unless the Blue Jays go on a, about a 15-game winning streak at this point. Uh, we'll get to winning streaks later. We're going to talk baseball movies because – at least you can be baseball related and not worry about your favorite team when you're watching a baseball movie. Exactly. You get entertainment and no stress. It's great. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about two specific films and then take a bunch of questions from our listeners. Uh, The the first film is going to be Moneyball, which is, of course, a drama based on a true story. My possibly least favorite genre of movie in some ways. And then we have the actual documentary Fastball, uh, which is fascinating, if you ask me. And uh, both of those are available on Netflix right now. So uh, if you have Netflix, um, you know, the easy peasy to go check those out. Uh, if you don't, eh, well, get Netflix. You can sign up. <laughs> no contract. Uh, I'm done promoting Netflix now. Fair? Yeah, because they're not paying us. So <laughs> Right, right. So if you want more uh, press, Netflix, uh, just yeah, get in touch. I'm available. We're... <laughs> <laughs> Not proud. Um, so we are going to talk in depth about Moneyball, and uh, Josh and I talked about this. It came out in 2011. You have had about six years to watch Moneyball. Now you could skip ahead about 10, 15 minutes and miss all the spoilers we're about to give out. Uh, but the book came out like way before that. So if you don't know what's going on with Moneyball, sorry, we're going to ruin it. Uh, and also because it's, I mean, it's a sort of fantastical version. Of a real baseball season, you really don't get any excuses. Yeah, if you, if you were familiar with the Oakland A's at all, you'd probably already know the story of Moneyball, at least from the climactic plot, plot points that go on during the film. So, um, uh, just to review, the story of Moneyball is how uh, the rogue uh, Brad Pitt, also known as Billy Bean, um, <laughs> general manager of the Oakland A's, uh, hires uh, nerd Jonah Hill to find, uh, also known as Peter Brand, who is really Paul de Podesta, um, <laughs> to find players that he can fit in his teeny tiny budget uh, that will, for the second year in a row, get him to the World Series. And then um, they don't get him whoa, to the whoa, World Series. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not the World Sorry. Series, the playoffs. The playoffs. Well, he wants to get to the World Series because he didn't get there uh, the previous year. Um, and, uh, and no one's going to give him any money to do that, so he comes up with a super secret way called which is never referenced in the film as such, but called Moneyball, um, of, of evaluating players and getting getting uh, one over on everybody else in the league. Uh, and then that is interspersed with, with some of the actual players and, and other characters around the team uh, and what they go through during that season. I, I found the movie actually, having read the book first, I found the movie kind of strange. 
Um, but what did you think about, first of all, did you read the book before the movie, after the movie? I read it when it first came out, the book. So, the book. so then you came upon the movie later on. Um, and, I mean, the, the book is very factual and goes into great depth about the, the idea that Moneyball is specifically trying to find any advantage you can get um, in a traditional baseball world by being unconventional, I, I think is really the thrust of the Moneyball argument, right? Yeah, and as you kind of alluded to, like that was never actually the term Moneyball ever said in the film because they didn't call it that. That's what Miller called it, the, the writer. But it was the idea that you're trying to find a way to find value that the market is not valuing. But it became this, it's about on-base percentage, which well, obviously sort of come, the way it comes across in the film, this idea that that's all that matters when it never was that. Yeah, and, and I mean, they allude to it in the film because he talks about, well, why is Chad Bradford valuable? Because he throws funny. And nobody trusts that his funny throwing is actually as good as it comes out on, you know, on paper or, or whatever, what have you. Um which I thought was, you know, they kind of hinted at it, but they never really got down to it. Uh, so I, th I think the film has a lot of problems, uh, one of which is it really tries to cram a dramatic story where there is not a dramatic story, i.e. it creates a conflict with Art Howe, the manager that was never really there for all intents and purposes in real life. Um, well, it was, but not to the extent that they put it in the film. They had, they did, they were at odds. Yeah. Uh, Okay, but again, it 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 played that up, you know, right off over the top, um, and then they messed around with a lot of of idea that uh, you know the whole timeline of, of when things happened in order to make it seem more dramatic. Um, the, the year in in question is not the year that uh, um, Billy Bean hired Paul de Podesta. It was the year before. <laughs> Just well, it, yeah, and it's also he's not really Paul De Podesta because they're not at all. They don't look at all alike. De Podesta refused to allow his his image to go on the film, and I said Miller. It was Lewis. Miller was the director of the movie. But um, the biggest thing for me, the, the, the I actually really enjoyed the movie in general. But the biggest factual problem I had with it was this idea that Billy Bean's job was in jeopardy. Hmm. He had just made the playoffs with a shoestring budget. And then made slashes that his owner demanded and lost all stars. Of course, he wasn't going to be fired. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a weird thing to have as the focus, and I guess that adds tension, you know. Um, and they randomly introduce his daughter and have him as a divorcee because that introduces tension. Well, in that season, by that season, he'd already remarried. I don't know how much role his his daughter's well-being had in his decision-making process. <laughs> uh. um, so we're, we're slagging on a lot of the, the things of the film that I guess you look at, at the real life. I, I guess I thought real life was pretty compelling. Uh, and then they decided, well, no, we need to make it more compelling and squeeze it into one narrative everybody can understand. So it's going to be... Uh, renegade GM who everybody has, is against. He's going to hire his sidekick. They're going to go do this crazy stuff. There's going to be a 20-game winning streak. Uh, and then uh, it's kind of a weird happily ever after in the sense that he doesn't win the World Series because, of course, you don't change the, that part of the narrative. Uh, but you do have it so that somebody recognizes that what he's doing is the right thing to be doing, is a, is a smart thing to be doing. And that's his, his vindication from a narrative standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and I think that part of what the deal here was, you know, you and me, we're big baseball fans, obviously. We do a stupid podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're, we were going to see it if it was perfect and factual and everything was the way it was. But as you explained, a lot of these things happened over multiple years. And they had to create a situation where people that weren't us would want to see it and enjoy it. And that they did this very well. But you mentioned the Art Howell conflict. It was real. I mean, the Bean and Howe did not agree on a lot of things, but it wasn't as openly antagonistic as it was in the film. You know, Art Howe still did what he was told. And this idea, like, he refused to play Scott Hatterberg over Carlos Pena and he was traded to spite him. No, Car Carlos Pena was in the minors when he was traded. But having the villain, having the potential of losing your job and not knowing what you're going to do with your life, 
creates very good drama for a casual viewer. So I actually thought they did that very well. I think the other thing they did really well was they got some performances with a lot of, of humor in them um, that everybody could, could relate to. And that, that's a credit, obviously, to the script, but also to the actors. Somehow, I forgot Chris Pratt was in this movie. <laughs> Scott Hatterberg. Yeah, so I'm going to play a clip with Hatterberg um, and David Justice, quote-unquote, um, from, uh, from one of the few interactions you see player-to-player player in this movie. Scotty H. Yo, what's up, DJ? Picking machine. <laughs> How you liking first base, man? It's, uh, it's coming along, picking it up. You know, tough transition, but I'm still, I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel better with it. Yeah? Yeah. What's your biggest fear? A baseball being hit in my general direction. <laughs> That's funny. Seriously, what is it? No, seriously. <laughs> There's a lot of moments like that in the film where, um, Really, it's it's subtle the humor, and that's what I like about it. Um, it's it's based on on a, sort of the the general awkwardness of the characters. But Chris Pratt is a good actor. I mean, obviously he gets a lot of parts, you know, not just because he's cute, but because he he really can carry a scene. And and everything you see about him in that movie, he he plays the bewildered Scott Hatterberg wonderfully. Oh yeah, and obviously there's the the more famous scene where he's with Washington with uh, Ron Washington. <laughs> Tell first base is easy. Everyone can learn face. Tell him, Wash, it's incredibly, it's incredibly hard. hard. <laughs> I, yeah, or it's not that hard. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> That's the classic one. I'm butchering the lines, but yeah, there's just you're right. There's a lot of moments like that, and even between Bean and uh, and Peter Brand, there, there's some of that back and forth that works really well. When you got actors like Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, you're going to get that. Yeah. And I, I think that's what makes the film, despite all of the the weirdness going on in regards to you know the actual the method that that we we ended up calling Moneyball because of again because of Michael Lewis's book um, because of all that that's sort of on display. I think what makes it watchable is both of these guys are and it really mostly is Pitt and and Hill uh, going back and forth that really makes it seem. Like you're in that moment, that something important is really happening, both between the two of them and the, the ball club around them. Um, when he asks him for, he goes, I asked you to, to look at three players. And he goes, uh, how many you do? He goes, 47. And there's this pause, and he goes, 51. I, I don't know when I lied to you just now. <laughs> <laughs> he cracked me up. And I've, I've seen that scene like three or four times, and it's still, I find it funny. Oh, Yeah. And actually, in, in addition to that, it's part of, you know, we talk about the drama that this in the film that they created, you know, with this back and forth with the enemy Art Howe and the, whatever. But the fact that that team really did have that streak, it, it gave them something to build the film around from a narrative standpoint and the baseball standpoint to co combined because the team lost in the ALDS in 2001 and lost in the ALDS in 2002. There's nothing there. But a 20-game win streak, that's something that worked out. And the way the game played out in real life where they're up 11 nothing and then they won 12-11, that's made for a movie. Like, you, no one would believe that if you made that up. On a pinch-hit home run from Scott Hatterberg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, you're exactly right. That, that the one part of the movie that you would think somebody sh just shoehorned in there to make it a Cinderella story is in fact the one part of the movie that is 100% true. A 20-game winning streak and a ridiculous 11, blown 11 nothing lead uh, to, to hit that 20-gamer. It, 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 it really was an exhilarating real-life moment. So yeah, they picked the right moment, obviously, to, to, uh, to hang all of that drama on. Yeah, um, and go ahead. I went to see that movie with someone who was not a baseball fan at all. And they liked it. Like, it felt all real to them. And I think that by having that in there, you know, they, they don't understand that, like, yeah, they still didn't win the division. Or they still didn't win the LDS. And they had all these all-stars that they didn't talk about, you know, Tejada and the three pitchers, Mulder Howe and Zito. But it felt like a great, compelling story. And, you know, that's a, cr a credit to the filmmakers. I mean, it, you know, when you have Aaron Sorkin writing, that usually works out okay. And I think uh, coming down to the end where, where the postscript uh, after they, you know, they do get eliminated in the ALDS again. Um, I think that, that that scene that was used both in the book and in the movie of Jeremy Brown 
um, stumbling as he rounded second and not as, you know, not realizing he hit a home run was a really neat, it was a great metaphor. And I'm glad that they, they used that as a metaphor and even pointed out that it was a metaphor, but it was, it was a, I think an interesting way to end the movie instead of just, you know, everybody jumping up and down because they won 20 games in a row. Yeah. And I actually really also liked before that, the talk about how he turned down all the big money to stay with the job and, you know, they don't mention that he got equity in the A's to stay, but, mm. <laughs> but it was just, it worked well again, narratively, even if it wasn't perfectly factual. Like, and I think that that combining the stuff you're talking about like with Jeremy Brown, which was right on the nose with the stuff that was created for film drama made it such a compelling movie, even for us who knew that it wasn't all right. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're generally, I think bullish on Moneyball, although there's some, some head scratching moments uh, from a baseball fan's perspective. I think as a movie person's perspective, you, you really, I, I don't think you will walk out being disappointed. Yeah, I agree. And before we leave this, we can't forget to mention Mark Shapiro is a heavy role in that film. <laughs> <laughs> Current Blue Jay. The guy that got looks like Mark Shapiro, too. That kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Wide-eyed look or something? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd like that description. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, oh, yeah. So there's your Blue Jays connection is Mark Shapiro is a really a bastard of, <laughs> in this movie. When he, every and, and he apparently he gets fleeced for Ricardo Rincon. <laughs> yeah, that's the okay. We won't go any more depth. There are many, many things that are are for dramatic license, and definitely <laughs> traveling in a plane to go talk in a room about Ricardo Rincon is is dramatic <laughs> license. Okay, but he wouldn't uh, have met Peter Brand if he didn't do that. Yes, who doesn't exist? Anyway, enough about Moneyball. We're going to move on to Fastball. Um, fastball is really the complete opposite in terms of, of dramatic license. It is really uh, a factually focused documentary, ostensibly about the question of who threw the hardest pitch um, that has ever been thrown by a human being in a professional baseball game. Um, the That's like the MacGuffin. Um, that we're chasing around because I mean ultimately you could answer that question not with a one hour and 20 minute or 110 documentary you could answer that in three seconds could you not yes <laughs> but we don't want to do that we want to know more about why the fastball is is so much a a part of of baseball history and baseball lore and and why people really for a very long time have been fascinated about the answer to that question um, even to the point of not just the fans or the people covering the game, but in, in a lot of cases, the pitchers throwing them themselves were heavily invested in finding out uh, <clears throat> just just how hard were they really throwing? You know, were, were they really doing something that nobody had ever done? So uh, I really enjoyed this journey all the way from uh, the 1900s and some fairly primitive military equipment all the way up to the modern radar gun of, of Araldus Chapman um, and his 105.1 mile per hour showing up on the stadium scoreboard and, and all in between. Now, obviously, the gold standard for baseball documentaries is Ken Burns and nine innings and then the extra innings that he put out about the steroid era. But looking at just sort of some of the lore of the game that's existed, fastball, I mean, the idea of a pitcher versus batter matchup and a guy throwing as hard as he can is that's what the drama of baseball is built on. And I thought they did a really really good job showing what it was like through the ages with these guys dealing with these flamethrowers yeah you you unexpectedly after you get into the you know the sort of science of well just how hard are they throwing and and how are they managing to do that you also get into the mentality of of what's going on and um the both from the pitcher standpoint and from the hitter's standpoint because there's a lot of intimidation and a little bit of fear, and there, there's, a, there's a huge psychological aspect to what's going on, and it's one of, you don't get a chance for players to talk about that in the day-to-day -day baseball sort of cliche-ridden interview, right? You, you don't have the time to slow it down and ask about when you go up, do you want to make eye contact with the pitcher or not? Yeah, 
and you know, you obviously there were some examples of the guys who they they never want to talk about that stuff. They never want to in in real life. I mean, they don't want to talk about fear and stuff because they don't want to seem weak. But in a documentary, is coming out years after you say it or however, or you can do whatever you want. Oh yeah, I was afraid of stepping against Nolan Ryan. Geez, I thought he was going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know that that stuff as you mentioned the canned interviews but also one of the stuff i found really neat was the pairing of the psychological with the actual like how they're you know trying to perceive a baseball and what it looks like yeah and there was there is addressed if if you're ever been curious about the idea of the rising fastball and the very simple you know idea that no you can't throw a ball that rises i don't care how much backspin you put on it and a physicist will say that full stop um, it comes out that it looks like they're they're about to sort of mock players who insist upon that. And then they go into a, a very thorough and easy to understand explanation of why the rising fastball physically isn't a thing, but visually is absolutely something that a batter has to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the, the primitive version of like spin rate and speed combined, right? They talk about this, that the brain can only perceive so many things and it sort of guesses on trajectory and if the ball doesn't go in the trajectory you expect, it looks like it rises. And that was really cool. Now, some of the hitters still come off looking like dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Hank Aaron saying specifically that the science is wrong sounds really, really bad. <laughs> because that's, I mean, that's how Hank Aaron has, Hank Aaron had to hit it. He didn't have to know whether the science was right or not. So I sort of, uh, I can kind of forgive that, though I understand. Yeah, you're, you're right. They do. First of all, though, they sound completely crazy, and then it sounds like, oh, you're just you're trusting your eyes when because you had to to make a living. But the fact yeah. is, your eyes were lying to you, and who wants to acknowledge that? And and if they'd said something like like look look to us, it seems like the ball is rising. So I you know I don't know what science is saying, but that's how we're perceiving it. That'd have been really cool. <laughs> But saying, and even Bryce Harper, who's now around in the Statcast era, saying, "No, it's not right. The ball rises." No, Bryce, it, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, like Verlander was like, "No, not a chance. The ball does not rise." I like it that, that when the the guy who has the ball going away from him, I've always felt has a much better view than the guy who has the ball coming towards him because he's trying to catch up visually to something that keeps getting faster and faster. Um, now, I, I'm going to change here because I do have the clip. And and again, it's something you wouldn't expect in a documentary about how, how hard is the hardest pitch thrown. But it's definitely worth your time to listen to what Bob Gibson says about um, why he was perceived maybe as an angry pitcher and an angry player. Well, anger came from racism. Of course it did. But racism was a way of life, that it was stuff that I had to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I didn't every once in a while go somewhere and all of a sudden there it was. No, it was there and it followed me all the way through my childhood and and not just through the childhood, through the first part of my major league career. It was there. That fueled a lot of the, the anger that that I, I suppose I projected. I don't know. I'd have to be on the outside looking in. All I knew was the way I felt. And I felt that I had to be better in order to get just as far. And I, de- I was determined to do that. For a guy who was characterized on the mound as a vicious, aggressive, <coughs> pardon me, vicious, aggressive, almost animal, you could see how the racism comes through because of how well-spoken he is about what he was experiencing and what he was trying to do as a player as in baseball. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that this was a thing. And you know, especially he was playing in the mid-60s, starting to change, but still very heavily involved in the culture of not just baseball, but just the United States. And it was kind of interesting to hear that in this movie because it's not really what you expect it to be about, but... It goes into what you were talking about before, the psychology behind what he's doing and how people are perceiving him on the mound and what makes him better. Mm-hmm. And him using that to his advantage in some cases. I mean, he never came out. He pulled his hat way down low and he squinted in, as it turns out, because he had horrible vision and couldn't see the catcher's fingers. <coughs> but... yeah. 
sorry, just before you go to that, this kind of disproves something from Major League. You know, Rick Vaughn gets glasses and all of a sudden has 90, you know, 80 grade command. That's not how it works. <laughs> Indeed. It, uh, it's a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, they, they talk about, uh, they talk about how Gibson intimidated people and how they specifically wouldn't meet his gaze. And from his perspective, I'm sure he was aware of that and took advantage of that as, as an intimidation factor. But at the same time, he didn't set out to be intimidating that way. It was a product of what he had to do in order to get his job done. And then went from there. Um, there's obviously a lot of talk about Nolan Ryan in this documentary and a lot of conversations with him. Um, there's a whole bunch of big names in there. I, I'm really bad at rhyming them all off. I think I have it somewhere on a IMDb page that's open. Uh, they do talk, interestingly, about one of the sadder stories, which is Steve Delkowski, who I didn't know a lot about. Uh, see, I was I just watched this a couple days ago. I hadn't seen it yet, and we decided we were going to talk about it. So I was hoping they were going to bring him up because he's kind of the perfect version of what you see all the time now you know in the pros guys who don't make it they, they these guys get drafted throwing 101 2 3 whatever it is but they can't pitch and you know i played against a guy named jason Nabergal who was throwing 101 when he was 18 and he never got past low a because he was walking 12 batters per nine i mean sorry 12 batters in one inning it, it's just <laughs> yeah <Whoa>. well, but, <laughs> But this is the thing. I mean, we talk about when we talk about fastballs, these great fastballs. We talk about a role as Chapman. We talk about Nolan Ryan. We talk about you know, Bob Feller, all, all these great pitchers. But that's not what makes the fastball itself. I mean, it's their control that makes them great. Yes, absolutely. It, is is there there just as you know the ability to hit a round ball with a round bat is one of the most difficult things to do in sport. The idea of hurling a baseball over 100 miles an hour uh into a box 17 inches wide and maybe two feet high and and doing so consistently that you don't kill the guy who's either you know sitting right behind it or standing off one foot to the the left or the right it, it is it is not something that is easily harnessed no i mean it's it's one of the hardest things to do in sports which is why we don't see it very often. And Steve Jalkowski was the guy that everyone is sad, everyone from that era, that never did get it together. Yeah, and, because... and not, not only didn't oh, sorry, get it together, but his, his whole life basically fell apart over the course of his failures in baseball. And, and again, Steve was a guy who on different occasions both struck out 21 and walked 21 in a game in the minors. Yeah, I mean, he had a season where he struck out 262 guys in 170 innings. And you're like, great. But he also walked 262 guys in those 170 innings. And it just didn't work. He almost got there and then he got injured and, you know, he's the sad story. But I really am, uh, as I, just going back to what I said before, like, he, not only did he get this mention, I, that he got a big, long section in the film, which I thought was very important. Especially since to talk to him, because he has m mental problems with dementia now, he, he's not a, a, a star interview. You know, he is not the smooth-talking Bob Gibson. So it would be very easy to forget about Dalkowski and about, you know, sort of the, the other side of, like you said, of the guys who don't make it. And, and they really did highlight him. So I thought that was a very effective thing to bring to the fore as well. There, there's a lot to like about fastball, I think. I think it's absolutely, as a baseball fan fascinating stuff 100 percent. yeah oh i mean i it's i'm really happy that we did this because i wouldn't have seen it otherwise so or at least not anytime soon because i agree completely it's really very well done there were a couple things i was very curious about and i wish they'd gone into a little bit more depth you know they talked about these measurements on you know feller which racing their motorcycle and then throwing <laughs> there's some <laughs> great stuff by the way don't give away the, the end of the film before you go into this People should at least have to watch it for that. <laughs> okay, well, then maybe I won't say this. but, but just, and, then, <laughs> and then they talked about the 396 milliseconds that a hitter has with the 100-mile-an-hour fastball to process the ball. And I was wondering, I wish they had said, on average, like that's what it is, and talked more a bit about, like, 
the extension on a pitcher like Chapman throwing 100 versus, you know, like Josemaya, who didn't get this far down the mound and he threw almost as hard. And so the precision of that number and then making it sound like it was exact bothered me a bit, but everything else I thought was great. Yeah, I think they are. It's one of those how much science do you squeeze into into this documentary that you're trying to give sort of life to this legend of the fastball and how much humanity do you put it in? And I think it would be difficult to draw that line if I were the filmmaker because I I was actually surprised about how far into depth they went about. um, They do go to equalizing all of these historic fastball measurements as best as they possibly can, um, which at the end of the film really surprised me. Like I, I thought, oh, we're just gonna maybe we'll leave it hanging by going, oh well, but we can never really tell because across eras, all these methods, you know, are are kind of imprecise in their own way. But they really made an effort to say, no, with everything we know, we can correct for this. We can give you an answer. So it, you know, the MacGuffin, they actually got it at the end, which it isn't always, you know, isn't always a guarantee when when you start with something and kind of go off on a tangent. So I, I agree, they they could have done more sciencey stuff. I think they were it's just. Not really- even, I'm not. I'm not asking for more. I'm just saying if you're going to say this, say where it comes from. And they didn't do that, which I thought was a little strange. Fair. Like, fair you know, is that from release to the plate or is it from – and then that was just the thing. I just like, – another sentence just saying that because I, I was curious about it when they brought it up. And I didn't get the answer. And I think that's a, a credit to them that when they mentioned it, within the context of all this drama that they're putting forward, it's it – captivated me to the point where I wish they'd explained it more when normally in a piece like this where it's all about romanticizing the fastball I wouldn't have wanted that yeah so I again what would you say to to people film film fans versus documentary people versus baseball people who who do you think this film would appeal most to I think that obviously baseball people first because of just what it is I mean it's history of the fastball but i think that it appeals all across all three because it's just a truly well done documentary and now people who don't like documentaries probably won't love it but if you like them enough it's narratively also very good that you'll feel like you're watching a movie as well yeah there there is a story here there's not just a bunch of guys standing up on the mound and and you know hitting a target kind of thing it it really it gives you a sense of the history of the game that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So I, I think that anyone who is a fan of, of the history of the game will really like it. Um, it is it is compact. It does not ramble on for like two and a half hours. <laughs> so it's kind of nice that way as well. So, uh, yeah, you can go check that out on Netflix. Um, <laughs> I thought we weren't mentioning it again. <laughs> oh, crap. You can check that out on your local streaming service, which shall now remain go. nameless. Oh, man, which means it's time for questions. Now, whether or not my questions clip loads up and plays properly all depends on how hard my computer's been working today. <laughs> Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Yes, anything is possible in my world. <laughs> Even getting the question <laughs> dropped to play in a timely manner. Cleanly-ish. Um, <clears throat> cleanly-ish, yeah. Sort of-ish. <laughs> we shall begin with the question, and I think it's fitting we, we have a Major League question because we've hardly mentioned Major League at all, maybe only like twice, right? Yeah, but this is really bad for us. We mentioned it more than that in a regular podcast. <laughs> so C dollar sign at 11cash77 asks, why did the Indians in Major League only have a two-man rotation, Harrison Vaughn? <laughs> Oh, this is the magic of movies. I mean, technically, if you're going it by this standard, by one point it was only a one-man rotation because Vaughn was in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to point out that as much artistic license as that is, in Moneyball there was a zero-man rotation. Yeah, they didn't mention the starters once. <laughs> <laughs> no starting pitchers. There was like three different relievers they talked about: Bradford, Rincon, and Magnante. And uh, and a bunch of position players, but but there were no pitchers. So I think they're doing pretty good to mention two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean this is just the nature of almost all feature baseball movies. I mean you you have your stars, and then you don't really show the other pitchers because no one wants to see the people they don't know on the screen. <laughs> but 
it was kind of funny. It's like, hmm, this entire montage of winning, we don't see anybody else throw the ball. Uh, I think in the format of a two-hour movie, getting a meaningful – they can't get a meaningful story in for like 12 different Transformers, and those wouldn't need to be particularly meaningful. Somehow getting a meaningful story in about 12 different baseball players is nigh impossible, and that's just how it goes. Um yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now I'll read one. This is from our friends at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Feelings on a league of their own. I uh, Can I confess it has probably been 20 years since I've seen a league of their own? Yes, you can. Yeah, now can you answer the question? <laughs> uh, I liked it. I remember liking it as a, a movie. Uh, you know, narratively, they were interesting characters. Um, it was fun to see something different in a baseball movie without I guess I, I didn't think that they gave into the gimmick of oh it's girls playing baseball in the sense of that was you know either titillating or, or, or whatever else it, it was it was a decent baseball story and it had Gina Davis was it Tom Hanks and Madonna hey <laughs> how bad could it be yeah I, I thought it was reasonably well done and it actually got added to the uh the national united states national film industry registry with the library of congress for being culturally significant and it does tell the story about a time it, uh, again it fictionalizes it a whole lot but a time in baseball history that i think a lot of people had no clue unless you lived through the war years even really happened that there was a girls professional baseball league yeah I and mean, a lot of baseball was really weird during world war ii they all <laughs> one-armed guy just, in the outfield <laughs> yeah and just like because everyone was gone fighting because you know like you think about it, professional athletes they're all the peak physical guys that's the guys you want fighting your war so yeah and i thought it was really neat though that just, all this stuff happened and then this movie about the about female baseball leagues and it was, it was just good it was a good movie uh next question is from jay at austin ja um are the blue jays pulling a major league are they trying to move to miami Smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Shapiro <laughs> is the, oh, I guess it'd be the Rogers would be the owners. That's why they hired Shapiro in this case. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it that. feels like that at times, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know. It's not like they've, they've sold off all the good players or anything. Um, I, yeah. They're just bad. They're just a bad team. I mean, sometimes teams don't realize how bad they are until they're well into the season. <laughs> I think that's what happened to us here. Hey, hit me with another one. All right. From Jonathan Mock at Jonathan W. Mock. How can I break my arm so I can throw like Henry in Rookie of the Year? Oh, by the way, also, uh, Jay at Austin J.A. asks, I've heard there's a kid in King Arthur's court named Rowan Gartner who could help the Jays or maybe see if Billy Haywood is available. So, uh, Henry Rowan Gartner, have you seen Rookie of the Year? I assume you have. Of course, yes. That was the first movie I ever watched that made it occur to me that a baseball movie could be abysmally bad. That, <laughs> that just having baseball in it might not save a movie from being unwatchable. Yeah, Angels in the Outfield's in that category for me. Um, but first off, we should mention, it's not the break of the arm that does it. It's the it's this tendons healing too tight. <laughs> This doesn't even make any sense. No. <laughs> um, and the film clearly tells you how to do this. You have to run into the field and slip on a baseball and fly high in the air and land on your arm. That's how you do it. But then you have to get a doctor to set your arm in that weird position. That's yeah. the real tricky bit. Is, flying into, did, is the cast not upwards when they set his arm? Yep. <laughs> now, as a practical thing... <laughs> Isn't there a reason gas don't get set in that position? Yeah, that kid's shoulder is going to really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> also, that film, if I'm not mistaken, features of all people, Daniel Day-Lewis as his mentor. Is that not who is in that movie? Uh, no, it was Gary Busey. No, I think, isn't Daniel Day... Oh, I got to look this up now. He's not in it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. That's bothering me now. 
I remember Gary Busey. He's the serious one. But who's the... Uh... Daniel Stern. That's who I'm thinking of. Wrong Daniel. <laughs> you confused Daniel Stern with Daniel T. Lewis? <laughs> Mentally, I'm all screwed up. Yeah. Daniel Stern puts on the strangest performance in that movie. <laughs> oh, yes. As the sunflower seed spewing weirdo. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's we, we've answered the question, though, have we not? Yes, we did. About, But uh, as for Billy Haywood, the manager's not the issue here. No. No, I don't think so. I think John Gibbons is all good. Uh, Richard Leeson at R. Leeson asks, okay, so what's the deal with Willie Mays Hayes? I like our fans know us. <laughs> They're asking all major <laughs> league questions. Yeah, he's fast, but he can he get on base consistently? I'll hang up and listen. So this is why we didn't talk about Major League that much in the opening bit, because <laughs> <laughs> you came through for his peeps. You came through. So, you know, yeah, he's fast. I think Willie Mays Hayes is kind of basically Billy Hamilton. I think he's better, he's, than, better than that. Yeah, it makes a little more contact than Billy Hamilton, a little more power. You know, I mean, heck, in the second movie, he's all muscled up and can almost hit it out of the park. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost, but not quite. But we see him. You know, he's he keeps the ball on the ground and he tries to drive the ball through the hole. He's just a solid guy, and he steals a whole whack of bases based on the number of batting gloves he's got tied up on his wall. I feel like he's more. Is he not more Rajai Davis than uh, than Billy Hamilton? Yeah, what Rajai Davis with Billy Hamilton's base stealing ability? There you go. You do remember Rajai never gets caught or never got caught in his in the prime of his career. Oh, yeah, but he didn't run as often as Billy Hamilton does. Indeed. Well, Billy Hamilton just he hits the ground running, I guess, because what else are you going to do if you've got what, a 280 OBP? Anyway, uh, too much real world. More movies. Um, again, right, last, from, last one from Jay, Austin Ninja. All right. <laughs> Is Joss Donaldson the Jay's version of Jack Parkman? I hear his shimmy makes all the women go wild. I am afraid you're going to have to help me on Jack Parkman. Major League Two. Oh. The catcher villain for the other team. I may have blocked that part out of my memory. <laughs> or I may not have okay. gotten all the way through Major League Two. So you're going to have to answer so the, the an- question. No, Jack Parkman's a villain. It can't be Josh Donald. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's an interesting one. Steven Dumanoir at du underscore manoir. Um, most realistic actor or actress at baseball mechanics, non costner division. And we got to eliminate guys like Scott Patterson, who actually played minor league ball. Yeah, so that takes out like most of the people who played major, uh, who were in Moneyball, the film we discussed earlier, because most of the people you see, other than uh, Chris Pratt, um, played baseball. So who we got left? Uh, I guess you've got from the rookie. Let's see. Okay, well, what other baseball movies had like good baseball mechanics? It's actually hard to think about that. Well, I, I'll give you the easy one. And again, I don't mean to make a major league reference, but Charlie Sheen was actually throwing somewhere in the mid seventies to low eighties when he was on major league. Oh, I was trying to go with. The, oh, that's right. It was he didn't want Costner, not not Sheen. Yeah, right. No, it, it's definitely Charlie Sheen. It's it's not even close. Yeah, he was. They were putting him at fifty feet, and the reason the ball looked like it was coming in so fast was because he was. Just 10 feet closer. So uh, props to him for getting all steroided up and doing that for his acting career. Yeah, but just, you know, some honorable mentions here. Uh, I think that from The Natural, Roy Hobbs, played by Robert Redford, had pretty good pitching mechanics when he was throwing. And then, like as I mentioned, Jim Morris, Dennis Quaid, he looked pretty good too. So I, I there have been some guys who look like they played baseball at some point in their lives. As opposed to, like, Freddie Prince Jr. in Summer Catch. It's like, that's the first time you ever picked up a ball. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, going back to uh, Rookie of the Year, or that that baseballing, yeah, I don't Gary Busey was no good. The kid was no good. Nobody was any good. That's brutal. <laughs> oh, man, Gary Busey was the worst. He's, he's, uh, he's right up there with Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> so we did a piece, by the way, just... Back in the winter, it was me, you and Ross, Mike Son, and Nick Dyka, uh, but uh, looking at the stuff ratings of the fictionalized pitchers. So basically, all these characters we're talking about now, Busey was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he was right, in, right at the bottom in stuff, mechanics, and baseball IQ. Oh, well, 
I don't know. Gary Busey's a, on a planet of his own. We know that. Uh, okay, quickly. Haha. Ha. Let's see if we can do this. Lou Brown 34 is Pod the Rod Payne. Uh, top five sport movies. Let's just do top five baseball movies. Okay. And I'll let you go first. Well, Major League. <laughs> yeah. Um, I Do I even have five baseball movies? that I would recommend. I would hope so. I don't think I do. I'm I'm so not a movies person. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to defer to you, my friend. I don't think well, I have. Can you five. just give a give a couple other ones that you liked? I liked A League of Their Own. Um I'm trying to remember the last time. Moneyball is probably above A League of Their Own. Uh That's again off the top of my head. I'm not even thinking about baseball movies. So, yeah, that's how bad it is. Go ahead. Okay, well, yes, Major League is obviously obviously number one. And so there's not like, there's a couple of good ones. I think that you're going to see here a lot of Bull Durham. And Bull Durham is quasi a baseball movie, but yeah, for to me be it's... Clear, just quickly about Bill Durham. I, you and I both agree it's not a baseball movie, and I say it's because he could be playing any sport. There's nothing baseball specific about the love story in Bull Durham, in my opinion. Correct. Although, should mention, it did have Nuke Lelouch, who is a Steve Dalkowski-based character. So we should, you know, since we mentioned Dalkowski earlier. Okay, so Major League, Major League 2, Major League 3. <laughs> you, you cannot uh, put Major League back to the minors. On, <laughs> no, it's terrible. <laughs> top five list of anything. <laughs> no, 61 was great. I don't know if you remember that one. There's the uh, the one about the Ramirez chase. Hmm. I thought the rookie was very good. For the love of the game, I think is one of the underrated great baseball movies. Uh, I forgot about Eight Men Out, so I suppose I should throw that out there as a movie which was really interesting. And then The Natural, even though it's plodding at points, it's still like the original happy ending baseball cool film. And yeah, it was just fun to watch. So those are my five. All right. Our last question from our, our buddy Brian at big underscore B underscore S R. If you could be the star in one baseball movie, which one is it and why? Okay. So is this asking if I could be starring in one or I could be that character? Uh, what do you think? See, well, I, <laughs> I think it's like if you could be in that movie. No, I think, well, basically it has to be if you could be that character. If you could play that role but have it be real for you. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like if, if you could be Nuke Lelouch, would you be Nuke Lelouch in Bull Durham? I'm a pitcher. Of course I'm going to be Rick Vaughn. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie starts when he's out of jail or just getting out of jail. So the rest of his life's pretty good. <laughs> Only, only going up from here. Uh, yeah, no, but he's like, you know, he's he's with like, he's getting all the money. He's women love him. He's winning awards. He gets the World Series. It's pretty good in two seasons. He's in the playoff both times. There, there's a lot going for him. Um, what would I? I don't know. I w I would be kind of curious to be in Eight Men Out. That would be a fascinating movie to be in. But not for like, for the historical aspect. You yeah. should be someone in Field of Dreams then. There you go. Field of Dreams actually would be the, probably where I'd end up. I've, I've read another book or two by W.P. Kinsella. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity. W.P. Kinsella was crazy. <laughs> A lot of his books have to do with baseball in random places in America and cornfields. That's, that's not just a Field of Dreams thing. Um so, yeah, I don't know that being trapped in a WB Kinsella book would be the best thing ever, but it certainly would be pretty cool to be on, you know, to be able to build that baseball field and, and have um, all these people walk out of out of history and, and play ball with them. That'd just be, I'd be down with that. Yeah. All right. So, we have reviewed two movies. We have answered questions. Would you like to have a final thought about the actual Blue Jays baseball team? Not really, um, <laughs> but I will have a fun final thought. Okay, fire away. So today, while we're recording this, the Yankees did something very fun. Oh, they goodness. hit into a triple play <laughs> and scored a run. To take the lead. 
Yep. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I watched that play. <clears throat> I'm still not sure how they made a triple play out of that. It was just based on a runner being very confused. Beyond confused. Because he, it was runners on, bases loaded. Yep. So the runner at second hesitated when the ball was hit directly behind him to the shortstop. And then realized it wasn't caught. So I'm down with that. So it's an easy double play um, in your standard 6-3. Right? Mm-hmm. Then the first baseman sees that the runner hasn't got to third yet and throws across the diamond. This is where my brain is exploding. It's like he took off from second... Why is he not at third yet? Well, I think it's because originally he was going back towards second base because he thought it was going to be a line drive. So he had no momentum when he started running. So by the time the ball got to Votto, he, I don't know, maybe he got confused and thought the ball was cut. It was, they never showed it on the camera, but it worked out that way. And because the run, because it was a rundown and not a force, the run still counted from third. Insane. Yeah. So yeah, chalk that up into. Uh, another triple play I've never seen before. And actually, the last time I wrote about a triple play I'd never seen before, it was also the Yankees. There you go. It's a long time ago, but yeah. So the Yankees have uh, have an interesting habit right there. Um, so since we've started basically ignoring them, the Blue Jays have now won two games in a row against the Oakland Athletics. After so, losing three in a row, but yeah. Yeah. But 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 after with another ten like this, I think we could start talking about the team with some confidence uh, again. Just another ten. And heck, if there's another two or three, you could just start talking about the team again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we have hope you have enjoyed this little uh, little side detour, um, which is to say that I have been Greg Wisniewski and you have been Joshua Housem, and this has been the rather unorthodox episode number 67 of Artificial Turf Wars and we'll talk to you again next week.